Thank you once again for being here. Wasn't worship great this morning? The team did a great job. We're grateful for the team and what God has blessed us here. And obviously you are aware that we are uh, concluding our Blessed Life series. Pastor John and Pastor Kento did a great job this, uh, these last couple of weeks. Very insightful. Um, and if you're new here, just know that this is something we do every year. I think it helps us get through all the holiday seasons and and try to set the year, making some decisions financially that'll help us spiritually and uh, relationally. So uh, we've always taken a part of February really for this series. So this is something that we try to uh, do every year. And I'm trusting you have been blessed as I have been over uh, these last couple of years of doing this series. Um, and, and of course, this year has just been awesome. So why don't you stand? We're going to get right into the lesson. We have some material to cover. Um, be more teaching today, just trying to get us uh, some insight to scripture. I, I was talking to the guys and I feel like, you know, if you look through the, the first couple of weeks, uh, the third lesson is, is dealing with debt. And I love, I love all the lessons, but my favorite's like the first one, probably the second one. The third one's the toughest because nobody wants to hear about their debt, right? So I feel like, how did I get stuck with the third? I'm like the cleanup guy. I got to, so the, the guys had fun. So hopefully we'll have some fun. We'll laugh a little bit, but we're going to learn something. We want God to help us. That's really what it is. So we're going to pray. And then as soon as I'm done praying, you can be seated. And then we'll just kind of take off from there. So let's just uh, bow our heads and, and talk to the Lord real quick. Jesus, uh, thank you for visiting us in a special way this morning. And God, I am grateful that you have trusted this house, uh, the leadership, Pastor Hoffman and his wife, to navigate us over 30 years of wisdom on how we steward our finances and so, Lord, help us as we navigate today that there's something we're going to learn here that we can apply and that God will just be better off when we leave here this morning because you have been with us and we have learned something that will be engrafted into our spirits. In Jesus' name, we pray and you may be seated. So just to give you a quick recap, if you have uh, not been here the first couple of weeks, uh, I would ask you, you'll want to get online Go on to our YouTube page. You can get through that uh, also through our website, firstchurchstrongheights.com. You'll want to listen to the first couple of lessons, but I'm just going to give us a really fast overview so we're all caught up. The first lesson, we learned about tithing and what first fruits, what it really means, and the importance of the two that go hand in hand together and the heart issue behind money. We briefly went over that. And then last week, we learned the uh, three levels to giving, which is tithing, giving, extravagant giving, and of course, the uh, miracle of multiplication. Pastor John did a great job uh, putting us there with Jesus when he fed the multitude and, and the miracle was never in what they had in their hand. It really happened when they were distributing it. Once it left their hand, that's where we uh, were able to see the miracle. So uh, again, today we're going to be talking a little bit, some fun stuff about number one, how God views debt and two, how your debt can influence your giving, will influence your lifestyle. And so I want to give you a little bit of a history uh, on, a, on a couple here, James and, and Mary uh, Maggie. They were, in the 1850s, Abraham Lincoln was traveling around and he was in uh, political debates with Stephen Douglas. And James Maggie would accompany Abraham Lincoln in his travels. James Maggie was a very uh, political influencer uh, he, he believed in something called the Georgism or birth from Henry George on uh, the political view or the financial political view at that time, uh, which was quite different than what the narrative was. And so he was very engaged politically with Abraham Lincoln. And so he would travel. Uh, James Maggie, he uh, was a business owner. I believe he owned Macomb Journalism. It was a company, so he wasn't just a journalist. He did, uh, he did own a business. He was an abolitionist. So very involved, and uh, towards the end of his career, he decided to settle down, him and his wife Mary. They settled down in 1866, gave birth to a little girl, Elizabeth Maggie, and she was just like her daddy. She loved politics, very influenced by her parents, her dad especially, and here uh, some of her political viewpoints, again, came from the time that James would spend with Abraham Lincoln. And one of the big pieces of their political views financially was, again, Georgism, which said, instead of the government taxing your income, the government would tax your lands. And what they would do is it would be based on the usefulness, size, and location of lands. Once the government 
was able to sustain itself, had met its, had met its payroll, had taken care of business, anything extra, the government would give back to the people. Kind of a little foreign, right? I don't know that that, that would work today. Um, but so here Maggie is just like her father. She's an entrepreneur. She started businesses. She was a journalist. She was a writer. And like I said, an entrepreneur, she invented a game. And matter of fact, in 1902, Elizabeth would go on to create the landlord's game. This game was, was patented in 1904, but the game consisted of a square board where you would start on one end and you would work your way around the board and you would acquire land, you would develop the land, and you would charge rent. Hence the game Monopoly. So the game Monopoly was actually birthed from a, a political agenda that she's seen in her parents, that she's seen growing up. And so really, when you look at Monopoly, Monopoly has sold over 250 million games. It's in 114 countries, in 47 different languages. 300 different versions of Monopoly have been created and sold. And now over 1 billion people have played this game. Who here is a Monopoly fan? Yeah, I'm not. And I'm going to tell you why. I have the attention span for like one hour to do something. I do not do well with something that, that I got a couple people waving their hands. They're getting the Holy Ghost right now. Like, you know what I'm saying. It is difficult. Now, if you were to play on the other side of the Nettos, which would be Steve Netto, my brother, who's doing a great job in the back. That whole team does a great job. Production, you guys are incredible. But uh, at their, in their household, their games can go for days. My brother has mastered, has mastered refinancing. He has mastered being able to remortgage things out. They, they have IOUs. I mean, it's a big deal. I can't, I just started liking to play Monopoly Deal because it's a card game and that's one hour. But if you look at Monopoly, it was birthed from learned behaviors and a political viewpoint that was passed from one generation to another. Monopoly is a product of its environment. Which, like Elizabeth, she was a product of her environment. We are the same, right? Your past influences your present and your future. If you were a child and you grew up with not a lot, then one of two things are going to happen. One, either you're going to live close-fisted, which you're not used to having a surplus of maybe finances, and so you live very cautiously, or you go the opposite way. I didn't have a lot when I was growing up, so we're going to spend it all and we're going to just live like we, we were kings because, you know, I didn't get to grow up with a lot of money. Those are kind of the two scenarios that you see. But your, your past does influence your present and where you're headed. And I can prove to you, uh, Monopoly has really influenced culture. Now, when you look at the first, the first uh, thing we have here, go, past 200, right? You pass by, go collect 200. Well, how many ever heard when you were, when you were a child, uh, get a job? If you didn't like something, like, we'll go get a job. You ever hear that when you were a kid? Well, get a job. I remember when we were kids, naturally in school, you know, we always gravitated towards the people you looked up to or that you tried to fit in. And uh, I've always been a shoe guy. That's just been my thing. And growing up, my dad worked really hard, uh, and so did my mom. I have an incredible father who's been an awesome mentor, a great elder at this church. I love my daddy to pieces. Great mom. They worked very, very hard to give me and my brother the best they could. Well, growing up, I wanted a pair of Nikes. Couldn't afford it. So I, I had, most of y'all won't even know, but we had, or I had a pair of Voits, V-O-I-T-S. Probably haven't heard of them. They weren't Nikes, far from it. And I remember asking, like, I want a pair of Nikes. And they said, go get a job. So I got a job at 14. I saved my money, and I'll never forget my first pair of Nikes. They were white with the red check. And as all kids, they trashed their shoes. And I remember buying the, like, it's white polish, shoe polish. And because the white was just jacked on the whole shoe, I would literally like paint my shoes all over again and make sure I didn't get the red check so it didn't look like I was painting my shoes. But that's all we could do. So I would, I would do that because that's what I really wanted nice shoes and we couldn't afford to. I mean, growing up, you might not know, but if you didn't have any money, you were rocking British Knights. You were probably wearing Spaldings. You were wearing Shacks, not the cool Shacks when he was with Reebok. You were wearing the Shacks when he went to Walmart. And so it was a different, so my parents said, oh, you don't like it? Get a job. And so we did. That's what you're taught as a kid. When you get older, get a paper route. You can go shovel snow. There's all these things you can do for money. Get a job. Well, 
as most of you know, when you get a job, we meet our friend who takes a lot of our money away from us. We quickly learn who FICA is. We quickly learn who the state is. You quickly learn who federal taxes are, Social Security. All these people are taking your money. And I remember my first check. If you remember your first check, it's like, (laughs) this is not what I was promised. You said so many dollars an hour. That's not what's on this little piece of paper. There's a lot of stuff taken out of here. But you quickly learn what taxes are as soon as you get a job. And then once you get through taxes, now you start to become a young adult. You get to the next influencer, which is the square chance. How many of you heard as a young adult, like, listen, this is the the season you can take chances, invest your money. You can uh, take some chances in life when you're dating. Some of y'all took some chances on some pretty nasty bums out there when you were in your in your dating season. Some of y'all are dating right now and you're probably dating a bum anyways, but maybe it's a good person. I don't know. But you're taking your chance. You're trying to figure it out. But pretty soon, start to get a little bit older, and you just can't be taking chances. What's the next thing you start to hear? Oh, isn't it time to settle down? Maybe it's time to get married. Maybe it's time for you to start looking for property, right? And if you've played Monopoly, what are the two squares everybody wants? Yes. They produce the most income. If somebody lands on those squares, you're getting a lot of money. And so, listen, whether boardwalk can be at any level, listen, if you, if you can afford a $150,000 home, maybe it's a $400,000 home, maybe it's $800,000, whatever that is, you're going to find the best home in your price range, not the worst one, right? You're going to live within that, and you're going to get the best you can find in that price range. And so everybody wants to land on boardwalk and get our home, but I'll never forget talking to the boys. A couple of years ago, we were mapping out what the next fiscal year for us looked like in our house. And so it was the first time I had the conversation with both of them, with Bridget. And I said, hey, do you guys know what this mortgage costs us? Nope. I tell them what the mortgage costs. Their eyes lit up. Like, that's right. It's a lot of money. I said, but guess what? That's just us opening the door. No lights, no water. You got no utilities, none. This is just us walking into the door. This is what it costs us. Now you got to add utilities. You're adding your phone bill, the internet, lawn care, maintenance to fix things in the house. All these things cost more money. So we now quickly realize a mortgage just isn't a mortgage. It's now coming with this utility package where you have to pay everybody else just so you can stay in the place that you're living in. Same thing with rent. You're paying utilities. on. That. So it's just not face value. You have to, you have to calculate all this. And then you get to the part of your life where we call it the luxury tax. Who here loves going on vacations? We love to get out of town. Yeah, in one week, I'm going out of town. I am a firm believer of go on vacation, disconnect. You need to recharge, invest in your family, invest in yourself. There is nothing wrong with vacations. There's nothing wrong with wanting any of these things. They just have to be found in principle. They just have to be uh, with, within disciplines and healthy boundaries is what you have to have. So there is nothing wrong if you love a little bit of luxury. Listen, my life changed almost two years ago. I've always been utilitarian with my vehicles. I've never cared for vehicles. I just need to get an A and B. I don't care. Well, I decided I got a, a great deal on the vehicle I drive now. And for the first time, I had like options outside of the standard like power windows and stuff. I had a heated leather steering wheel. Yes. That's out of all the options. That's the only one I think I'll always want because I don't care how cold it is. As soon as you get in the car and you put your hands on that steering wheel, you thaw real quick. And so I am grateful for some luxuries in life. I do not. I am not embarrassed or sorry about it. I am thankful for heated leather steering wheels. They help out, but culture has influenced us on what success really looks like. I don't believe that we have to live with the poor mentality. We've said it before. The best thing I can do for poor people is not be poor, right? Somebody has to help. Somebody should be contributing to society. So I don't believe that everybody should be equal. We need, if you're an entrepreneur, we need more businesses. If you're creative and and you can think of patents and things we can't, you need to go do that and get paid for the skill that you have. I don't believe that we're all on the same place. That's why socialism doesn't work. It would kill the creativity in the country and globally, and you would see a loss of production. So I believe that, hey, we ought to be aspiring to some things and pay what people, sometimes the hardest thing with, listen, this is a freebie. I got a few of these in here. They just keep popping in. Listen, sometimes Christians are the cheapest people with each other. Like, well, you're my brother, you're my sister. Listen, they got a skill that you don't have. Pay them the money. 
Like, let's not be cheap with each other. Let's respect each other's craft and not take advantage of each other in honor because that promotes business and that promotes healthy relationships. The money is funny because it's personal. It'll show you your priorities. It will reveal your disciplines. It will affect your behavior and it will expose your heart. See, if you're not careful, you will step out of the alignment in scripture, adjust your wants to redefine your needs. Because all of a sudden, what you thought was in need at first, when we're out of scriptural context, and we'll get into how God views debt, when you step out of that context and you're no longer in scripture, all of a sudden, what you thought was your need, you begin to redefine it. All of a sudden now, like, listen, Andrew Hill should be the only one with the 10-bedroom house. Like, I have two kids. I don't need 10 bedrooms in my house. That is something we don't need. I could use a bigger home, absolutely. But listen, we could all, there are things we can all strive for. But don't get confused with, I have to have this, because you now view the principles different than what scripture has given us. And let me paint you the picture of what Jesus is saying about debt. Numbers 33 and 54 say, and he shall divide the land by lot for inheritance among your families. And to the more, you shall give the more inheritance. And to the fewer, you shall give the less inheritance. Every man's inheritance shall be in the place where his lot falleth. According to the tribes of your fathers, you shall inherit. It's not equal distribution. If you need more, you'll get more. If you don't, you don't need it. It was the same principle that you can find with the Israelites when they were in the wilderness for 40 years. And it says in Exodus 16, 16, listen, go out and take the manna you need for the day. If you take too much, it'll spoil. If you don't take enough, you're going to go hungry. Make sure you take what you need. Debt will spoil you. Debt will cost you something. So don't get sucked into getting more than what you really need. Watch what culture will do in Psalms chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sitteth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in, uh, in his law doth he meditate day and night. So what is the counsel of the ungodly? What is culture? Culture tells us the more you have, the more blessed you are. Right? It's prosperity preaching. We hear that all the time. If you just sow a seed of faith, if you just have this, all these things mean that we have more. But that is not the case when you look at scripture. It's telling us that there are some laws to blessing. There are some laws to blessing. I'm going to give you four. I could, we could park here for a long time if we were to break down all four of these. But we're going to breeze through them because we do have uh, some material. And there's a game, I think, tonight. I don't know. So we can't be here all night. And y'all better be voting. Listen, I'm not from here. Y'all better be rooting for Stafford. Just saying. Like, the dude spent a lot of time here. We at least owe him, like, hey, go get your ring right now. That's just, hey, that's from a non-Detroit Michigander, okay? I'm just plugging in for the poor guy. He's, he's given his health of his career to us. He, he deserves a ring. But anyways, let's move on to these four primary laws of blessing. The first one is the law of giving. Luke chapter 6, verse 38. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom, for with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Give and it will be back to you. It's the same principle you find in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. We say, judge not lest you be judged. That means you can't judge. Not true. Go to verse 2. It says, for with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. So the principle here is, with how you behave, expect the same back. So if we're stingy with our finances or you're stingy with caring for your loved ones, if you're stingy with how you love people, then when, and I promise you, it's going to come when you need something, how do you think people will respond to you? If you've never helped anyone and all we did was just kept it selfish towards us, then one day when you need it, who's going to be standing by you? So the first law is giving, give, and it shall be given unto you. The second law is the law of blessing. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, and I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. Blessing should flow to others. I can tell you what word is not in that scripture. I will make thee a great name. I will bless you. If you can, you should probably bless somebody. If you have extra blessing, then go ahead and bless somebody. Scripture says that you shall bless somebody else. It sounds like a non-negotiable. It's kind of one of those things. Listen, if I'm going to bless you and make your name great, 
You ought to be blessing somebody else. This isn't just about you. You need to be giving, ministering, and loving somebody else and not just about what you can have. The third law is the law of others. Then Peter said, lo, this is Luke chapter 18, verses 28 through 30. Then Peter said, lo, we have left all, followed thee, and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house, or parents, brethren, or wife, or children, for the kingdom of, my, of God's sake, who shall not receive many folds more in the present time and in the worlds to come in life everlasting. So what is God saying? If you bless others, he's going to take care of you. It's, it's a requirement that God will take care of you, but it's you investing in other people. That's why it's so important when you look at serve teams here. We just talked about growth track. If you're not serving on a team, start by doing that. Growth track is your vehicle. I, I'm, I'm grateful for 80%, and I promise you, 80% is a lot higher than many churches that, that I'm aware of. That's a great, healthy number for us. But I look forward to the day where we have 100% people serving somewhere. Somewhere you're using your gift, somewhere you're plugged in helping somebody else, because as soon as you help somebody else, no one impacts the kingdom and doesn't feel the blessing of God come back to them. No one. If you want to feel the blessing of God, start looking at somebody else's issues. Start getting involved somewhere else. And the fourth law is the law of expectation. Luke chapter 12, verse 48 says, when someone has given you much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. God expects more from those who have more. God has blessed you. You are required to return it. You are required, again, a non-negotiable with him. So if you are given much, much is required from you. And is, those are the four basic laws of blessing that we can find in Scripture. See, debt is an expensive substitution for blessing. We manufacture the blessings of God because we have lived outside the principles that he has given us. So oftentimes, what we view as blessing is something that has been manufactured. I'll prove it to you. You can afford a payment, but you can't afford the purchase. You can afford $100 a month for the next 12 months on your credit card, but you can't afford actually purchasing it outright. You can go now to purchase a vehicle. This is a real deal in my house. I have a, 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 a drive, well, almost to be driver. My oldest son is going to be driving just a few months. We have to purchase another vehicle. He needs to drive, and Lord knows we need him to drive because it, it's a full-time drive a job driving these kids to everything they do here. So me and mom are looking forward to the day where he gets in his car and he can drive himself to church, get to youth. But here's the thing. I, we started looking at uh, vehicles and, you know, I'm, we're, I'm older now. I'm going to be 43. Bridget's still like 23. So I said, babe, it's time we get a, let's get a real car. You need a real car, right? She's been, she's got a nice car. But I was just pushing to get something nicer for her. And she's, she's a great steward. She, she requires hardly anything. She's like, oh, we don't need that. I said, ah, you're, you're a woman. You need a, you need a good car. So we start looking at cars and I'm like, I mean, I'm looking at like the XT6 caddies, right? Those things are sweet. Tell your rides. Like I'm looking at some rides and I'm like, man, that, that's a woof. That's $600 a month. Yeah. So I'm toying, looking at the finances and, you know, and listen, if, if I'm not your financial advisor, okay? If, if you have a great interest rate and you have a loan and you take your cash, you invest it and you make more money investing it to offset the interest, like that's all great. Know my heart. I'm not going after the idea of investing your finances somewhere else to pay something. I'm, I'm talking about legitimately overspending. But I was sitting in life group and, and this is great that we're doing financial peace while we're doing the Blessed Life series. So I'm sitting in Life Group and Austin Hill is doing a great job teaching financial peace. And in my head, I'm thinking of all these vehicles we should be getting. And he starts talking about family and money. And I felt a check. I'm like, you don't need, you don't, I don't need a $70,000 truck. I legitimately don't. I can get, it'll do the same thing at 40,000. It can actually do the same thing at 20,000. It'll really do the same thing at 10 grand. Like it's just gonna get you somewhere, right? So I felt a check about even what we're spending and it's just the principle behind manufacturing the blessing. Like, are we, just because you can afford the payment doesn't mean it's a blessing from God. Can you afford the purchase? Can you afford, do you have to live off of the credit cards? Those are the things that we are looking at disciplines. And so when you look at Luke chapter 16, verses 11, watch this. So if you have, uh, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, 
Who will trust you with true riches? Again, this is why we keep talking about the heart, right? These are principles that we can, we can figure out financially. It bleeds to everywhere else. See, money will test your character, your faith, your obedience, your capacity. Money will test your heart. Because Jesus is saying, like, if you can't handle worldly wealth, how will you handle true riches? What are true riches? Money can't buy health. Can't buy good health. Money cannot buy peace. Money can't buy a strained relationship and get you in the, in, the, in the positive with one. Money can't bail you out of a poor marriage. Those are things you invest in. Those are the disciplines that carry into your relationship. It boils down to your heart, the discipline, the obedience to the word of God. If you learn how to account for every dollar spent, you can account for every word that's spent. Listen to this. When, and, and I was very intentional with saying every word that's spent. When you say something and it leaves you, it's spent, it's gone. The discipline that you can learn with finances, watch how it bleeds over into your personal life. Are we people that are quick to tear down or quick to put together or quick to lift somebody up? Because what you speak in life and death are the power of the tongue, right? Watch this. The, my biggest pet peeve when I'm, when I'm either, if it's couples, young marrieds, marrieds, biggest drawback, it's, it's, listen, if you're in an argument with your spouse, and, and this is free, this has nothing to do, well, it has everything to do with the blessed life. But listen, if you're in a situation with your spouse, shut up. Don't go telling your business to everybody. Because if you believe God is going to fix your marriage, do you know how many fires you might have started outside your marriage by spilling the beans of what goes on in your household about your spouse? Because guess what happens when you and your spouse make their way back to God and everything's whole again? You have a lot of people that are going to now look at your spouse and go, oh, but I remember he said this. I remember she did that. And like you have to we have to guard our words in our relationships, because when we go out and we just start saying what we want to, we're spending that that those words out there. You're going to pay a very heavy price for the words that we use. That's why I love the idea of, of a prayer chain. But I think over time, it's, it's gotten a little bit of watered down, right? How many times do we hear like, oh, we're going to pray together. So tell me what's going on. What, what's really happening? Man, you know what? You start hearing it. And then all of a sudden, you're the, you're the dump, right? The church dump. You're getting all this information. We're going to go pray about it. But all of a sudden, you have way too much information that you shouldn't have. And then, we start, and then we look at that person funny. Now we have an ought with somebody else. Now we're talking about it. Those are words that are being spent instead of saying, hey, you know what? How are you doing? Hey, is there anything I can help you with? Hey, what can I pray for you? Is there something I can do for you? Start counting the cost of your words. Because if you can learn how to account for every dollar spent, you'll be able to account for every word that you spent. Every idle word, we're going to have to make an account for that. If you learn how to invest in your finances, you'll be able to learn how to discern which relationships to invest in. Here's, here's a new shocker. Not every relationship you have, you should be investing at the rate you invest in. There are some people that are on the journey with you, and then there comes a place where you change the relationship and you begin investing in somebody else. If you have a business and, you may, and your business is designed to, to hit $1 million, you hit $1 million last year. There's no guarantee that you can just go to two million in revenue the next year because some people only have the capacity to get you to a million. There are others that will get you the capacity to. But the problem is we become so loyal in relationships that will tank the business because all we want to do is, well, they were with me. They were rocking it with me at the beginning. They were there from the very beginning. I, I got to be loyal to them. And all of a sudden, what was an aid to you has become a hindrance to you because you continue to invest in the relationship and never see that it's actually morphing and changing. So if you see, like, there's so much that you can now with cryptocurrency and stocks and bonds, all, if you can learn how to gauge, they call it charting, right? You can follow the charts to see what they're doing. So the goal is to buy low, sell high, right? You learn how to read it. Imagine if we started doing that with people in our life and you start reading things like, you know what? We're not heading in the same direction anymore. Love you. But it doesn't mean we have to hang out all the time anymore. Love you. I'll pray with you. We can, but it doesn't mean we have to be connected every day because now you need to find people in your life that is going to pull you higher than where you are. And that can get you to the goals God has given you. It's about learning how to invest, not just in finances, but invest in the relationships that you have. And how can we learn to be a cheerful giver 
if we've never learned how to pour into others. When, when you go and you learn how to cheerfully give financially, all of a sudden, you can be a contributor and cheerfully contribute into somebody else's life. Always be looking at pouring into somebody else. But it takes you learning. If I could be a cheerful giver, if I can learn, like, sometimes money's tight, but, man, I'm not going to put a frown on it. I'm going to come up, and I'm going to continue to sow into the kingdom. It's the same way when you are depleted relationally or emotionally and somebody needs you. It's coming up to them with a smile on your face and learning how to engage with them and knowing your capacity at that point. These are all principles that you find financially that will bleed into your personal life. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It matters what you do with it. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he hath purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. It is you giving what is in your heart. But watch this. There are different levels to finances. Your first level, ground zero, is need and greed. Right? If you look at the model of collect 200 as you pass go, we have been drilled, it's, it's, it's week to week, right? We get paid on Friday, we pay our bills. I can't wait till next Friday, pay my bills. There's needs, you have to pay your rent, pay your phone, pay utilities, all these different things, the mortgage, all this stuff you're paying out. What happens though at the end of the week? You've worked hard. It's been a hard 40 to 50, 60 hours. What do we say? You know, I had a rough, I deserve this $7 cup of coffee. And for some of y'all, it's like every three days. Yeah, you know, it's been a tough day. I need one, right? So we go from the need, I need, I got to pay my bills. All of a sudden, now I need the perk. Like I worked really hard. I, and so now you want more. Like I, I just, you know, I'm going to take care of me. And so we start, now we start spending. And that's the, that's the ground zero to my, it's, it's, it's where we all start. We're learning need and greed. How do, I, how do I pay my bills and what else do I need to satisfy how hard I've worked and to satisfy my emotional needs? But there's another level, and it's called seed. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10 says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. The measure you sow will be in the same measure you operate in. Seed is a, an agricultural term. In our old house, we had apple trees and that apple tree, I, listen, if it would have been a chocolate tree, obviously I do well in that department. Apples, it's a struggle. I don't care how many applesauce jars, how many apple, and, and to be real, apple pies. Listen, unless it's Brenda Lichtel and her team that made apple pies every year, I don't buy apple pies. They're the only solid apple pie in the movement and in the country. That's, that's the truth. There is never an apple pie that we're like, oh, babe, look, I picked up an apple pie at the store. It's not happening. Unless they're selling it, I'm not buying it. So all those apples in my backyard, and guess what? You can't, I couldn't make apple pies. We're not making apple cookies. Like, there's no apple anything, okay? So the apples are falling. I'll never forget, I was coming home from, from work. Uh, let me give you the principle first before the story. In an apple, you have five to eight seeds. When you plant your seeds, 30% of them will germinate. So you have to cross-pollinate. There's a whole thing. Anyways, when you have an apple tree between 50, I want to say 80 and 150 apples per tree is the average. So now when you have an apple and you eat that apple, you have five to eight more seeds. You can take those seeds and plant them again. You can start planting and you can have a whole orchard of apple trees. Matter of fact, you can't eat enough apples. There comes a place in your life when you're sowing, you're going to begin to reap more then you sow to where you can't have enough of it. You have to give it away. So I'm coming home. I'm coming home from work. I turn into our subdivision, and it's a, it's a modest, quiet little subdivision. And I see police. I see my dogs running around. I can see Bridget. You know, she's the only one with the, you know, you can tell who she is. She's the only one in the skirt and long hair. So I, I can identify who my wife is. My wife and then my kids, the cops. I'm like, oh, what happened? So I pass the house, and I pull up. And my son, my youngest son, Jordan, is an entrepreneur. Matter of fact, in that same subdivision, what he would do, because we had a lot of walkers, they'd walk their dogs, he learned that if he went into the house, he grabbed a pitcher, filled it with tap water, cold tap water, with our cups that we bought, 
set up a little table at the edge of the driveway and he was selling tap water for a dollar a cup to every walker and he was killing the game, making money. That's his brain. The dude's going to, I'm going to retire early because of him. He's, we're going to be fine. But I pulled down the subdivision and the cops are out. Come to find out, a neighbor was a little nervous because of a, a, a young child walking the streets. But what he did is he went into our house. He took a bunch of Walmart bags, took, all the, took apples from our tree, put them all in bags. And he went door to door selling a bag of apples for five bucks. He was making so much money selling free apples from my yard that we're never going to eat because why? We had more apples than we could do anything with it. It's the principle that God's saying, listen, if you'll give it to me, I can multiply it. You have more than you could ever dream of. You're going to be giving it away. You'll sell it. You'll do. It's all in a principle of seeding, of sowing. God is only going to trust seed to the sower and never to the keeper. If what we do is just hold then that's all you'll have. God will not reward you. It's the attitude behind it. Your attitude will ultimately let you know what your altitude is when it comes to blessing in your life. Last week, Pastor John taught an incredible story about Mary as she was breaking the box of perfume over Jesus' feet. In that story, I was fascinated. He was, I think it was in the book of John. I was reading it in Mark. And, and here... Mary breaks the box of perfume over Jesus' feet. And this is what Mark 14, chapter 8 says, uh, verse, chapter 14, verse 8. It says, she did what she could. This is Jesus. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. According to Roman custom, when there was a crucifixion, when you pulled the body down, you would wrap it, and then you would put oil, spices, perfume, and then you'd bury the body. Because Jesus was pulled off the cross so quickly, they didn't have time to do that. So if you connect the dots, what is that telling you? The work Mary did actually fulfilled the work at the cross. Think of this as Mary. The Bible doesn't say it, but we we found out last week that to have that much perfume and to break that box was a year's worth of salary. So that tells me a couple of things. One, Mary had low debt to income ratio pretty healthy financially. Two, maybe she'd been saving for a long time. I don't know that. But we do know she felt the need to go before Jesus to break what she, it's called an extravagant offering. Broke it in front of Jesus. And there he says, because of what she did, she fulfilled the work at the cross. So what does that tell me and you? There are things in your life, if we would get these principles down, who knows what miracle is in your hands? Maybe there's something that you've been struggling in your family, in your households, husband and wife, with your children, health. I don't know. But if we can learn some of these principles here, what if that was the very miracle that you needed that was to come three years from now? We, she had no idea what she would do, but I want you to see the value that Mary, with what little she had, sacrificed it all and, and fulfilled the work at the cross. These are the principles that we have to learn. And I'm coming to a close I want us to think about that when you start looking, even when you go back to the accountability with finances and accounting for it and accounting your words, that moved me so deeply because listen, we all know where Let's Imagine is, is, is going to launch here in two weeks. Two weeks. It's exciting. It's exciting time. But here's the thing. When you have a lot of people in the room, what do we have a lot of? Opinions. We all have opinions and we're all, and we all are entitled to our opinions. That's great. But I trust pastor and the leadership. Now, listen, if pastor said, hey, you know what? In, in the new sanctuary, uh, this is what the bathroom looks like. And we look at the, the, the dollar tag from, the, from the, the carpenter or the finishers, and it's $50,000. And I'm, I'm being obnoxious about it because I don't want to pin it on anything. But listen, if pastor thinks we need a $50,000 bathroom, that's what we need. Like, I'm not going to fight on it. Why? Because guess what? It's like our business meetings. I hate coming to them. I, only, I actually, to be true, I only come because I'm staff and I have to. If that wasn't part of my job description, I wouldn't come to this business meeting. You know what? I never came to one until, they, until I became part of the staff because I trust the church. And guess what? I'm doing my job. If they're doing something that doesn't need to be done, God will deal with them, not me. So it's off my shoulders. I'm not going to burn an hour of my time. I'm not saying don't show up to staff meetings. I mean, to your business meetings, do that. But what I am saying is, like, listen, there are going to be opportunities that if the enemy can come in and use us to start spending our words, start, it's like, again, go back to the marriage, right? It's like a bank account. If what we do 
and we keep putting into our marriage, we keep investing into our marriage, none of us are perfect. But what happens when you do make a mistake and all of a sudden you made a withdrawal in the relationship emotionally? If you never invested into your marriage, you'd be bankrupt. That's how marriages fall apart. They no longer have anything to give. They have spent everything. And that's why when you look at these principles, and I want us to stand, when you look at these principles, when Jesus says, I want you to have life and that it be more abundantly, he doesn't want us to just cruise through life. He wants us to have an abundant life, something more. Romans chapter 12, verses six through eight. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. There are seven gifts if you read that scripture. One of those gifts is the gift of giving. How can we ever handle a gift if all we did was mortgaged everything we had and we were just in debt? We were satisfied with the payment and never the purchase. If you go down just five verses from there, this is what it says in Romans 12, 13, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality. Your gift can help somebody else out. If you've ever been in Brent and Debbie's life group, number one, if you've ever had a cupcake from Debbie Campbell, your life is for sure changed forever. The greatest cupcakes in the movement. Great cupcakes. But listen, when you go to a life group at Debbie's house, she sets the tone. Come in, you can feel the peace in the house. You can feel her love. You feel her care. So when Brent starts to teach, you can receive it. As he's giving you what God has given him in scripture and in word, you're able to receive that because there's been a set, right? Something, something set the tone for the night. It's a gift that God's given us, but if we don't steward the gifts, if we mortgage everything out and we live in debt, then how can we ever be able to tap into something like this that'll change your life? I want us to come to the front and we're going to pray here in just a moment. I want to close with this scripture in Numbers chapter 23, verses 19 through 20. God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I have received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot change it. When God blesses you, nobody can take it apart. The only one that can destroy it is us by not being stewards of what he gives us, what he has trusted us. As we were praying, my dad came in and, and, and listen, I can be in this. When I heard we were doing the Blessed Life series, not heard, it's in our plan to me. We do it every year. This is the worst series for me in the season I'm in right now. If you know my story, you know, we, we're obviously living in an apartment. We're trying to rebuild our home. And a part of this journey, when you're dealing with insurance companies, anything you do that's different than what the insurance company wants, they want an extra, extra. And so I have to write checks to them if I'm changing anything. I'll never forget my doors. The, the bid came in for the doors we picked. It was $6,000 over the doors that they were going to pay for my house. So now either I have to write a check or I have to fight with the insurance company for more money to give me what I had to begin with. But these are disciplines that I have built over my life. Trusting God financially, trusting God uh, with, with my relationships, the investment into my finances, in the investment into people. And I'll never forget is last week. It was in the middle of the week. Someone here was going through something, uh, chaos at work. There was just a lot going on. And I felt in my spirit, I needed to send them money. And it was a little bit of money. And yet I am hemorrhaging money this whole time. I can't do anything in my house without costing me more money. So I am leaking money and I'm frustrated. I'm dealing with all these emotional things, just whatever. The bottom line is, I felt, I said, I want to do it. But in, in the back of my head, I'm thinking, but man, you got a pony up to pay this and we have to do that. Man, the family's going on vacation. I got to get the kids some money for them to have some fun. So I'm going through all this stuff in my head, but I feel God's pulling on me to give to this person. It's the middle of the day. I called Bridget. I said, babe, I'm fighting it. I, I really feel like I need to give this person money. I, they're in a, 
there's a lot going on. I, I want them to have some relief from the pressure they're in. Can we do it? And Bridget's like, what's the problem? I'm like, I know, you know, we got to buy the doors for the house. We got to do this. I gotta, and she's like, just do what you always do. I hung up and cash out the money. It's been a culture in my life, which I believe in my marriage, I have seen the benefit because I have learned how to discipline my money. I learned how to discipline my words. I learned how to invest in my family, invest in my children, invest in my wife, invest in the relationships in this church. I've learned that stuff. And those principles that have carried me financially have carried me through all these other areas of my life. And so as we were getting ready, which we're gonna do here in a moment, this church has been really blessed. I look around, you can see the people. This is one service. We had another one that was just as full. And I was asking us like, hey, we're going to thank God for what we feel in this room. We're going to worship. We're going to be thankful for what he has given us. And listen, if God has challenged you today, then this is a good space as they begin to sing here in a moment for you to just, all right, God, I don't have it all figured out. I'm laying this on the altar. Like I am going to do better. I'm going to do better at this. I'm going to work on this stuff and I'm going to work on the relationships I'm involved. All this, get it. My dad came up to me and my dad, as we were talking about, look at where we are. Look at where we're going. The sacrifice that was paid for us to even get here. And my dad said, well, he said, in the past, they gave sacrificially, and you're receiving the blessing today. He said, now you guys are going to give sacrificially, and then the next generation is going to reap what you have, what, what you've sown in. And that is a perfect picture of where First Church is, because it's our gen, this is my time. Like our elders, they have given, and I'm grateful for every one of them that are leading teams and they're involved, but this is my time. This is, it's, it's my generation. This is what I'm going to do. So that way my son and, and, and both my boys and the generations to come will reap the benefits of me sowing in. But it takes us being disciplined. It takes us putting him first for us to apply these principles in our lives. And so I want us to begin to thank him, number one. Let's spend a few moments here and let's begin to worship him and thank him. Like, God, I wouldn't be here without you. God, my marriage wouldn't be here, Lord. Even if they're strained right now, Lord, I know that you're in the middle of this. God, that you see me. God, that you have watched every time. God, that it might have hurt when I contributed to the kingdom. But Lord, you can see what I need right now. And so, Lord, the disciplines, God, the laws that I can find for blessing. God, when I begin to apply them financially, Lord, I will see, God, that I will learn to apply those as much as in the supernatural it will be in the natural. That, God, we begin to release those things to you right now. Because I believe, God, that, Lord, if I will just hold on to these principles, if I 